please turn in your Old Testaments to Isaiah 40, 6 through 8. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8 as we continue through this wonderful chapter in our series, Run and Not Grow Weary. We're going to discover another way uh, to keep from that weariness of soul this morning, but let's pray first. Lord, we pray that you would take your word now and remind us that we are like grass, like the flower of the field. We wither and pass away, but help us to believe that your word stands forever. And would you, Holy Spirit, cause us to hunger for your word and for the ability to get under your word and be led into paths of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? Cry this. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen. I want you to maybe write this sentence down and ponder it this week. You're just living between defeats if you're trusting in anything but God's word. You're just living between defeats if you're trusting in anything but God's word. I want us to look at this idea of the Old Testament record of one defeat after another. One loss of energy and passion, one destruction after another, and why it was, and what God is saying to them at this critical point in the history of Israel, and what God is saying to us. Basically, we lose when we put our trust in men. That's the point of this text. We lose when we put our trust in men, and Israel did that. And, you know, we, as I said last week, we look, we, can you believe it? I mean, after... God had shown himself in real time to be so powerful, dividing seas and rivers and water from rocks and all kinds of miracles. They saw his great and mighty power after they saw him be so loving and ever providing and manna in the desert and shoes that didn't wear out. I mean, we could go on and on about how faithful God showed himself to be. So reliable. And as far as the Word of God, they saw Him give Moses the Ten Commandments personally. Now, they weren't on top of the mountain, but they understood when He came down that these were carved by the hands of God. The same God who provided, the same God who loves, the same God who divided the sea. The Word of God. And then they were led by God into the promised land, and they watched him go before him and drive out the nations, nations that were far military superior to them. Nations they had no business defeating. You know, the Canaanites and their chariots and the Israelites and their shepherd staffs and their swords and their spears. God did it. But you know, after a while, 
They began to forget about God and his reliability. They began to forget about what it was like to live under what Galatians calls the law of perfect freedom. God gave his word to lead us in paths of peace. God gave his word not only that we might have relationship with him, but that we, our lives might flow out of his wisdom and truth. No, they began to accept the words of other men, and just as God predicted, other gods. And you know they did what folks do today. Have you ever noticed how the Bible's not, it's, it's antiquated in the sense of when it was written, it's very in touch with the human heart, it's very transcultural. They began to mix and match spiritualities. They began to mix and match with sources, different sources of truth. If we live by crops, if we eat by crops or starve by the lack of crops, and if Baal is the rain god, then maybe a little Baal worship won't hurt. We need rain and we need crops. And a little Asherah worship thrown in there in addition to that. Maybe that's a good thing. At least our, our neighbors who worship Baal say so. I mean, we'll still worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says, and he said over and over in the Old Testament, don't worship other gods. But don't we have the right to decide what is true and what is not true? Does that sound familiar? Don't we have the right to decide what is true and not true? Who is to say that we can't mix and match and customize our own version of truth? God is saying, trust my word or you're going down. Trust my word or you will be defeated. And you can read those very words in Isaiah 39. I read a lengthy passage of that last week where he says, you're, you're, the Babylonians are coming. You're going to get dragged away. Everything that is precious to you is going to be dragged away. Your sons are going to be dragged away and children of your own body will be born in captivity. And when they trusted in other men and other gods, all through the Old Testament, they're just living between defeats whether it was the Egyptians or whether it was the Midianites or the Philistines or the Assyrians or now the Babylonians. It's the same story. We're just living between defeats, major defeats, devastating defeats, if we live according to anything other than God's Word. So why? Why do I struggle with this? Why do you and I struggle with other voices of our culture telling us how we can really be happy and really make our lives work out independent of what God says because those people are beautiful because those people do have a semblance of power because those people are influential and therefore in our culture they will be heard and they will be considered, there is a kind of glory in them. You know we're made in the image of God, don't you? And when the fall came, that image was tainted, but that image was not erased. I mean, thank the Lord that image was not erased. The earth is still beautiful, though it's groaning, right? 
We are still made in God's image and there's still glory within us. That is why people who do not know Jesus, as we always say, might come up with the cure for cancer because we have intellect, because God is intellectual, because we have creativity, because God is creative, because we have ability, because God is able, etc., etc. And, and so, yes, when, when we see human beings, there, there is some kind of, of glory there. Verse 6, if you want to look at it in the Scriptures, what shall I cry? Verse 6, all men are like grass. It does not say that they have no glory. No, all men are like grass and their glory is like the flowers and the grass. They, God assigns, it is, it, they're, they're reflectors of God's glory, you see. Are flowers in full bloom glorious? Did Jesus not say that that the lilies of the field are clothed by God and they are arrayed in splendor far beyond any clothing that humans could ever spin. Absolutely flowers are glorious. But their glory, you see, won't last because of the fall. Their glory is fleeting. Grass has a glory of its own. When you finish mowing your yard and it is freshly cut, manicured, and you sit back and and take a look and can smell it and look at it and you say, that is beautiful. Because it is. Well, just wait till December. If you've seen the grasslands and the wind rushing over the grasslands, creating almost waves like ocean waves, if you have eyes to see it, you will say, that is beautiful. But it will not last. I mean, don't we all wish the gaudy glory of the azaleas would last more than three weeks in April? Wouldn't that be great if we had azaleas all the time? Or in Colorado, where I'm from, that garish kind of gold glory of the aspen trees. Better get there at the right time, because in three weeks, they're dead. Men are glorious. That's why we hear from them. That's why we say, oh, man, that person's beautiful. Wow, that person's brilliant. Wow, that person's influential. They're powerful. They're clever. Whatever it is, men are, have a kind of glory. But it is like the glory, God says, of flowers or grass. You don't believe me? And look, you know what? It's it's interesting. Some of the most glorious things men do. Isn't it funny how trivial they are? They don't even really matter. But we're captivated in our celebrity culture. Let me do a little little experiment. I had fun looking this up this week, by the way. Just 10 years ago. I actually went back two years ago and couldn't remember any of this. I'm making sure y'all don't remember, so I'm going back 10 years. All right, these um, these are the greatest awards of culture. I'm talking about the highest thing you can get to show you are beautiful, talented, blah, blah, blah. Okay, best actor, Oscar winner of 2002. You don't remember Adrian Brody? All right, number one hit song of 2002. Number one group of 2002. You don't remember Nickelback and what's his name? Craig Kroger? All right, this is going to get easier. And somebody here will get this because you're like baseball freak. You like worship baseball as much almost sometimes as God. Um, 2002 World Series. You don't remember that the Anaheim Angels won the World Series? We're on the 10-year anniversary of that 
pinnacle of human glory. Stanley Cup. Well, forget it. Who cares? And I tell you, man, the flowers... I just, it, it just hurts my feelings almost to turn on PBS and see these old rockers from my generation. It's like, dude, your glory's past. That spandex shouldn't be jiggling up on that stage like that. You need to put your spandex away and realize that your flower moment is gone. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, this is not good. I just want to listen to it but not watch it. One thing we have in common with all humans, whether they've won the World Series or not, is transience. We are here today. There is beauty. Hey, look, one of the, one of the reasons it's hard sometimes to get through, a, through to a teenager or a, a college student because they're just in the prime of, in a way, their glory. They're, they're just beautiful. They're athletic. They're indestructible, right? And we who've already been there and have Woken up on the far side of the disaster, no. The answer is no, they're not. It's transient. But this goes deeper than Oscars and Emmys and advice that people might give or ideas or even other religions of men. In the Hebrew language, the, the word here for glory is not actually the, the normal word, which does mean weight. C.S. Lewis brought that to our attention with the weight of glory. This is not that word. It, it, it talks about how impressive men appear, but this word translated glory, their glory is like the flower of the field, is actually a relational word. It's the word hesed. Hesed. It is actually one of the primary words of Scripture. It is the word for the unfailing covenant love of God. God's love for us is His hesed love, His covenant love, His unfailing love, His never-go-away Love. And it's saying, basically, a play on word, words, their no, never-go-away glory goes away. You're not going to get true glory from anybody in this world, and you're not going to get the love you need from anybody in this world consistently like God. And you certainly won't get it eternally from anybody or anything or any other place. That's the point here. This is about God in His glory. God not only in His, not only His impressiveness, but His chesed love, His loving kindness. This is passing, you see. There is no loyal love that can last forever. God will always love you the most and the most consistently. And if you and I live by the words of men... Or the ideas of men, though they be impressive, we, you will never have the love you need and want. You're just living between defeats if you're trusting in anything other than God's Word. Just like Israel in the Old Testament. Just like Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40. So secondly, let's look at this, this idea of trusting in the Word of God. You know, we in the PCA, we love to talk about trusting in the Word of God. Because God's Word endures forever. Hey, this thing's old as Eden. This is as old as Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say, in the day you eat of it, you will die? And what is Satan saying there? Are you sure you want to trust His Word? 
Why don't you trust mine? You see, God just doesn't want you to be like him. God just doesn't want to give you a hand up. You need to take it. It's as old as Eden. And the results, of course, in Eden, were they not disastrous? Are we still not groaning under the weight of it without a Redeemer? And even with a Redeemer, are we still not struggling in our flesh and the world and the flesh and the devil? And you know, it's devastating in our passage from the prophecy of the utter defeat of God's people given out of the mouth, given out of, the mouth of God in the chapter immediately preceding this one in Isaiah 39 Isaiah 40 bridges over, and as I told you last week, there's about a hundred years that are suddenly just clipped. And you're a hundred years later, as one scholar says, that we, in Isaiah 40, you hear the disaster that's coming. You read in other places in Scripture about the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, etc., being hauled off into captivity. But from the prophecy of destruction... In 39, I'm talking about just one verse later, beginning in Isaiah 40 with the words, Comfort, comfort my people. We wake up on the far side of the disaster. The disaster is over. And God is saying, I want to give you double comfort. If you were here last week, double forgiveness and a double wide road to bring you home. And the Israelites are definitely post-glory. Post their own glory. As they do a spiritual autopsy on what led them there, they realize that all the spirituality in the world of the Baals and the Asherahs could not deliver life. Only defeat. And as they are trying to make sense of all, when it all, how it all happened and when it all went wrong, God gives them clarity. Cry this. What shall I cry? Cry this. You forsook the Word of God. That's what went wrong. You came out from under the authority of my Word. You put your hopes and your thoughts and your dreams into the ideas and religions of men. And that is why this happened. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. And the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows upon them and God blew upon them. He, one translation says, just one little puff from God and you're just gone. Surely the people are grass the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. It was precisely a departure from living under the authority of God's word that led them into that mess and calamity. You need to know that. And I'll prove it to you in a moment from history. And God's breath did blow upon them and they did fall and now God wants to restore them comfort, comfort, forgiveness. But He wants to return them not only to Himself, but to His leadership under His Word. To His nation that He can lead. 
that He can bless, that He can go ahead of again. It's very important not to put philosophically too much space between God and His Word. Because if you do, the Scriptures say God and His Word, not that the Word is God, but the Word is a direct expression of God. You cannot separate what God has said from God Himself. If you do, what will happen is you'll say, oh yes, there's a God. And there are lots of people who believe in a God. And evidently God has said a lot of things to a lot of people that are utterly contradictory. But who are we? Who are we to say one or the other is not God's Word? You see, we're putting too much space between God and His Word. That's not the way Scripture sees the, uh, the Word of God. Now, Scripture sees the Word of God something like this. And God said, let there be light, and it was. And God said, let the waters part and the land come, and it was. And God said this, and it was. And God promises this, and it will be. You see, there's no space between God and His Word. And if you believe there's space between God and His Word, then you are going to be precisely those folks, just like the Israelites, who are going to open yourself up to one defeat after another, though you'd be a very nice person and accept everybody's thoughts. You can listen to everybody humbly. You don't have to be a jerk. But God's Word doesn't just come true. It is true. When He says it, it's as good as done. The only thing that's missing is the timing of God, the Sovereign, to do it. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? God's Word, we should say this, is utterly reliable. I love that. What is utterly reliable in your life? What is totally durable in your life? Answer, nothing. God's Word. God's Word. What God speaks, He always does. His honor, His glory, His love is on the line every time He says He's going to do something. Yes? He wants to put it on the line. To him, it's not on the line like we think. He's just executing his sovereign will out of his grace in his timing through his declarations, his word. He is defining reality. And it is true and durable and reliable. God has bound himself to his word and he cannot lie. Unless you just want to believe in another God. Go ahead. No, don't. No, I'm sorry. Don't do that. I was going to say, go ahead see how that works out for you. But I tell you, as a, maybe as a Christian preacher, I would say, don't do that! <laughs> he has bound himself to his word. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 Titus 1.2 Hebrews 6.18 This is why his word stands forever. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. He cannot be thwarted. As one scholar states, there's a sense in which God's word doesn't come true. It is true. And unlike people, 
as glorious as we are, and I'm not trying to say we don't love you know, each other, and I, I'm not trying to say, I'm just trying to say we're not like God, what the Scriptures are saying. Unlike people, there is no disconnect between what God says and what God will do, as there is with us, even with the people that we love. There's that contrast between the fleeting, frail glory of man and the dependability and durability of God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. I told you I'd prove this from history, that they got it in exile. Then the autopsy, they went, we got it. Do you know what started in exile and continues to this day? Though there is no temple in Jerusalem, the synagogue. The synagogue began in the Babylonian exile. You know why? Because they said, you know what happened? We turned away from God's word. So we need to create a worship service that centers on the word of God. Lest we forget. We don't ever let this need to happen. And that's why in the synagogue, the primary feature of the synagogue is the scrolls. The teaching. Remember how Jesus would take the scroll, read the scroll, preach the scroll in the synagogue? Guess what? Early Christian worship was patterned, where is this pulpit? In the center of this sanctuary. Pattern after the synagogue. Because God's Word is central. So let's get back to the Word. Let's get under the Word. Right? Because you're just going to live from defeat to defeat if you don't. I watched the unraveling of a dear friend's life who was a pastor friend. At first, he simply emphasized the grace of God without any accountability of God's Word. Meaning the full counsel of God, the law, he hated, kind of got where he hated the law of God but loved the grace of God, ignored the law of God. The law of God was no longer how you lived out the grace of God and you repented all the way because we can't live out the law of God and we need that grace, right? God will walk with us as we are in deep repentance. But he just first simply emphasized the grace of God at the expense of the Word of God. Then he began to dismiss the clear teachings and commands of Scripture, claiming grace. And then he began to open to other ways of salvation. And finally he was dismissed from the ministry and divorced from his wife because of far less than godly behavior. And now, of course, he blames the legalism of those who quoted Scripture to him as his primary problem. No! He walked from God's Word. And that is his primary problem. And may God retrieve his soul. In stark contrast to my fallen friend, Yesterday, I had the joy of attending Cora Beaver's 90th birthday party. And if y'all know Jerry and, and them, the great family, Cora sits there in sec- right there in the second service, 90 years old. And I love Cora, and I'm going to tell you something, I admire her. I told Cora last night, I said, you know, when I get older, I try not to say old, but you know 90, When I get older, being Southern, and my body starts doing things I don't want it to do and aches and pains, and I mean, she just went through a horrible bout. I just hope that I have the faith and the steadiness and the the subordination 
under God's will and under His sovereignty and the trust that you have. And she said to me, this is great, she said, well, you need to cast all your cares on the Lord. You need to learn that now, Pastor Wheat. I went, yes, (laughs) ma'am. I loved it. (laughs) She's right. (laughs) She's right about me. Um, Jerry stood up when they were kind of doing some, you know, some words toward her. And basically, Jerry talked about how Cora and her husband passed along the idea, not just the Word of God, but the idea of the authority of God's Word. And that there's God's way and other ways. And he talked about how they lived. I mean, look, when I say this, you know, imagine it being like you or me, just repenting, falling, getting back up, trusting God, you know, this, it, there's that cycle. So I'm not trying to say you trust God's word and you never sin again or something like that. But he, he said, I not only appreciate the fact that in my home I learned the word of God, what was very clear was the authority of the word of God. And if there's anything that gave me a sense of peace and still today gives me peace is that I believed in the authority of God's word and I passed it on to my children. Now they test it out. You know, they're going to go through their stages. And, um, and it was wonderful. This, this series that we're doing here is, is entitled Run and Not Grow Weary. Doesn't that sound good to you? For weary people like us? Let me tell you something. One of the ways, things that makes you weary, and particularly modern people, is making yourself the deciding mind and having to determine what truth is all the time. And, and I tell you, to a modern, independent-leaning person that feels like freedom, it is utter bondage and exhaustion. And the simple reason is, you don't, and I don't have the aerial view of all reality. And it really is up to us to say how we feel about something being true on a given day, from a given angle, that we, in our limited knowledge, happen to think or believe at a given time that will change in a month and a half. This is exhausting. You want to run and not grow weary? Then realize that men are like grass. Like the flower of the field, they wither and die, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Question, has the word of God ever failed you when you have properly understood it? Answer, no. In a world that is constantly trying to convince us to trust in what fades away, what would it look like for you in a fresh and new way to trust in the word of God that stands forever? But there's one more thing I need to bring out before we go. And that is that this is not the only place in the Holy Scriptures that this verse is quoted. If you will turn to 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25, that is the other place, and it is fascinating what the New Testament says about these very words about the authority of God through His Word. 1 Peter 1, 23, Since you have been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Because for all flesh, all men are like grass, and His glory is like the flower 
of the field. The grass withers and the flowers flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then these words right underneath that. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Meaning, Peter is saying this word is about Jesus. This word is about the gospel. And if you get that, now you understand why God didn't use the word kabod or wait for the word glory, but he used the word chesed or everlasting love, covenant love for the word glory. Because men don't have chesed. And God's love never fades. And the entire story of the Bible is about the glory of one who would come and connect us with God so that we would have all the love we need and be able to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, the Word isn't just a guide for a great life. It's a guide to grace. It's a guide to God Himself into the arms of God. And it leads us to that chesed love and nothing else in our lives will deliver. That is the glory of the Word. And this Word is the good news of the Gospel that was preached to you. And we are born again of the living Word. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Word and all God's promises. We learn in Hebrew, all God's promises are yes and truly in Him. And if you have Him, then you have the Word made flesh. And if you have the Word made flesh, and all God's promises are true for you. And by God's grace, even on the far side of our disaster. Look, I don't know where you are. There, you, just depend, you, you know, talk to me at different times in my life. I might be not on the far side of a spiritual disaster. Or I might be on the far side of a spiritual disaster just like everybody else, uh, you know, of some, of some sort, even if that's coldness to God or outright idolatry. But even if you're on the far side of a disaster this morning, God wants you. God is saying His promises in Jesus Christ are still yes and amen to you. And God's not only saying that, God is saying when you put it back with Isaiah 40, I not only want you to know that I am your Redeemer, but I do have a future for you. And it's with me. And it's going to be according to my word. And we get right back to it. Don't trust in yourself or in other men. We need the glory that will survive tomorrow. We need the truth that stands forever. We need the relational love of God that will last forever. You're just living between defeats if you're trusting in anything other than God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, turn us back to You. Thank You that Your Word really is about Your grace. That Christ really is the, the fulfillment of Your Word. Would You now run to Christ for many of us, what, probably what we need to repent of is a coldness toward your word. Would you repent of a coldness toward, your word, toward God's word this morning? Would you repent of the fact that that coldness 
has looks like you feeling like you know what it's already all about, would you repent of how you listen to other voices and mix and match? And Lord, would you be pleased to move us back under your word into paths of righteousness for your name's sake and peace? Let us run and not grow weary because we're in you and under your word. Amen.